0: Hello, everybody. Can you believe it? I mean, I know we do not look a day over 249, but here we are at our 250th episode of the Literary Salon podcast. 250 episodes. How many hours is that? How many months is that? I have no idea. I just want to say thank you to you for all the time and energy and attention, for all the tweets, for all the stories, for all the feedback about the books that we share here. And also, if you are one of our authors listening, thank you for choosing us as a place to share your work. I know what it means to take a new book out into the world. I know how nervous making that is and how terrifying it can be. And it really means a lot that you trust us to share your stories, so thank you. To our authors, thank you to you, our listeners. And also thank you to the Salon team for making this happen. Um, It's my voice, but the Salon podcast is made by Matt Casborne and Megan B. Dorman. So they are the people who bring this sound to your ears. So thank you to them as well. All right, episode 250 happens to be a Salon super favourite. It is a person who uh, was with us way back when we were at Shoreditch House and she has premiered her last four novels with us. She sold over 51 million copies of her books worldwide and she's been translated into 46 languages. And of course, her biggest bestseller was made into a film starring Sam Claflin and Amelia Clark. I am talking about Me Before You. I'm talking about Jojo Moyes. Yes, the lovely Jojo Moyes. Jojo premiered Me Before You at the salon. I remember the moment so clearly. It was sort of life-changing for everybody who was there. And she has returned to us with her new novel, Someone Else's Shoes. So I'm sure you've heard the expression from Mark Twain, clothes maketh the man. The rest of the phrase is less well known, but it goes, naked people have little or no influence in society. So clothes maketh the man and naked people have little or no influence in society. That was obviously before Instagram. Anyway, that phrase certainly applies to Sam and Nisha, who are the two main characters in this novel, and they accidentally switch gym bags one fateful day. So Sam is forced to spend the day in Christine Louboutin's. I've no idea if I've said that the right way. I know that they're very fancy shoes, but anyway So Sam is forced to spend the day in those and a Chanel jacket Where she discovers the social power that comes with fine garments While Nisha, who's normally dressed fancy, might as well be naked She's locked out of her home wearing a gym robe and cheap black pumps She's cut off from her life of wealth and privilege So there's a lot in there about costume, class and armour Nisha, however, only really finds out who she is when everything, and especially her clothes, are stripped back, whereas Sam begins to learn the real potential that she has as a person which she's given a boost of confidence by these gorgeous garments. So this is sure to be another JoJo bestseller. It's so great to be able to share this with you. I'm so pleased that we've got Jojo as our 250th episode and I'm so pleased that we're able to share another new novel from her. So please enjoy this very special reading from Jojo.
1: My name's Jojo Moyes and I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to read to you, uh, readers of Damien Barr's Literary Salon, from my new book, Someone Else's Shoes. I hope you enjoy. She has been to an English pub once before in the Cotswolds with one of Carl's associates who owned a sprawling shooting estate and thought it would be fun for them to partake in the English tradition of sinking a pint. The building had been straight out of the history books, full of beams and wonky ceilings, suffused with the smell of wood smoke, with a cute hand-painted antique sign outside and the door surrounded by roses. The landlord had known everyone by name and had even allowed entry to dogs which lay at the feet of men in tweed with bad teeth and braying voices, the car park a mix of mud-spattered old four-wheel drives and the immaculate Porsches and Mercedes of weekenders. A bar girl served up little plates of cube cheese. You wanted to see the lab bacterial results on those plates, ugh. And small brown pies with an identifiable meat that she had pretended to nibble at. The bottled water was lukewarm. She smiled at the numerous jokes and wished she had stayed back at the house, but she had made it a habit to be at Carl's side at all times. This is not that kind of pub. This is like the bars in roadside joints several miles off the highway where she had grown up, where girls wore vest tops and short shorts and men wished they were in a branch of hooters and behaved as if they were. She walks into the white horse and is instantly enveloped in a sea of bodies and noise, groups of people yelling beery fumes at each other over thumping music that is just a few decibels too loud. She pushes her way through the crowd, trying to shrink to avoid the men who are lurching around aimlessly, apparently already drunk at 7.30 in the evening. She had hoped to sit quietly in a corner somewhere, but all the seats are taken, people elbowing their way in as soon as a table vacated like some kind of muscular game of musical chairs. She waits instead in a porch area, by a door, as if she were thinking of going for a smoke and shaking her head at the guys who asked her if she has a spare bag. All the while she scans the crowd, waiting for a man who will give her a nod of recognition. He has come via a friend of a friend of Magda's husband who knew people and had contacts in every country. She had made the arrangements directly on a burner phone six weeks ago so that Magda was involved as little as possible. She had pleaded to be kept out of it. It is better if I know nothing, Mrs Cantor. I I don't want to get in any trouble. And when the guy had reported back last week, he had said the surveillance job had been embarrassingly easy and that she would not be disappointed. She had sent him cash and a Patek Philippe watch that Carl had decided he needed two years ago at the airport in Dubai and had been too drunk to remember buying afterwards. There was no point in her trying to identify this guy by his looks. They're all the same, these goons, anyhow, with their military haircuts and their thick necks. She'd know him because he'd be the only guy here who wasn't drunk and spraying saliva halfway round the room. Got a fag, darling? A young man appears in front of her, he wears a white polo shirt and track pants whose crotch sanks down to his knees and he has a glassy flush to his cheeks that says he's been drinking for some time. No, she says. Waiting for someone, are you? She looks him up and down. Yeah, waiting for you to get lost. Ooh! She sees then that a group of other young men are with him, equally well lubricated, nudging each other and howling. You're sassy. I love a sassy lass, he says, and raises his eyebrows suggestively, like she might find that a compliment. American, are you? She ignores him and shifts slightly so that she is facing away from them all. Ah, oh, don't be arsy. Come on, let me buy you a drink, darling. What do you want? Vodka tonic? Let him buy you a drink, Yankee Doodle. She keeps her face turned away. She can smell his aftershave, something cheap and pungent. I don't want one. Please go right ahead and enjoy your night. I won't enjoy it without you. Come on, darling, let me buy you a drink. You're all on your... He puts a hand on her arm and she whips around and hisses. Fuck off and leave me alone. This time, the woo from his friends has a harder tone. They're getting annoying. She needs to focus to make sure she doesn't miss her guy. The young man's face has flushed and hardened to a blank stare. No need to be rude, he says. Yeah, there is apparently, she responds and then they shuffle off back to the pub with a couple of sulky backward glances. She walks over to a portly middle-aged guy in a rumpled jacket talking to a friend, leaning against one of the windows. Excuse me, would you happen to have a spare cigarette? She smiles sweetly at the man and he is disarmed immediately, doesn't even speak as he rummages for a packet. He lights the cigarette like a gentleman, keeping his hands from touching hers, and she rewards him with another smile. Actually, you couldn't give me a couple for later, could you? I've left mine at home. He gives her the packet, insisting she take them, that he can buy some more. You're a doll, she says, and his ears go pink. She smokes the cigarette in short, angry puffs, relishing the acrid taste of the smoke, the chance to do something for a few minutes. Where the hell is he? She rubs the last of the cigarette out with her heel. Just hurry up, she wills him, She cannot remember the last time she was on her own in a public bar at night. She is normally insulated from people like this. That snotty kid wouldn't have approached her if she was in her normal clothes. This is what she spent her whole life getting away from. She checks her watch, then shoves her hands into her pockets and pulls them out again quickly with an audible, ugh, when she remembers what she's wearing. At a quarter past nine, she makes her third circuit of the pub, pushing through the groups of increasingly raucous customers, her head dipping and bobbing as she tries to make out who is there. A young woman, no longer wearing any shoes, offers her a cigarette outside and tells her her hair is beautiful. She says thank you nicely because she wants the cigarette. She suspects the nicotine will give her a headache tomorrow. Nisha waits as the hours pass and the bar takes a more bacchanalian turn around her, the voices louder, the glasses sloshing alcohol as people push past. A group of office workers starts dancing on the tiny, sticky dance floor, and she stares at them, marveling at people's willingness to humiliate themselves. The side door locked at a quarter to eleven, and people begin to spill out of the main doors, laughing, stumbling, stopping to smoke or kiss messily or wait for taxis. He does not come. Is it closing time? She asks a young Asian man, part of the office celebration. Yes, babe, he says, saluting. Nearly eleven, it? He slings an arm around the shoulders of a ginger-haired man in an ill-fitting T-shirt, and they walk off, singing. She cannot believe it. She turns and peers inside, the place is emptying, barmen wiping tables and stacking chairs. Could she have missed him? He couldn't have been here without her knowing, he just couldn't. She curses under her breath, preparing to walk back to the hotel. She is only a few minutes away from the pub when she hears them behind her, catcalling, their footsteps echoing on the wet pavement. Oi, Yankee Doodle! She turns and recognises him immediately, pushing forward like a pustulant boil from the surface of their little gang. Oh, great. She picks up her pace. That they pick up theirs too and she knows they are gaining on her. Her heart thumps in her ears with a sudden surge of adrenaline. She runs through the calculations that every woman knows as standard. This street is too dark. There are no other people nearby. The main street with its strip lights and traffic is still a hundred, two hundred paces away. She has no bodyguard, no personal alarm. Not even any keys to wedge between her fingers. He is coming. She knows it in her gut. Three strides, two strides, she hears his approach, feels the hot breath on her neck. Just as his arms surround her in a clumsy bear hug, Nisha squats and drops abruptly, shifts her weight onto her back foot, turns and swings her right forearm up hard between his legs, just as her Krav Maga tutor had shown her. She hears his high-pitched cries, he collapses onto the pavement behind her. The shocked exclamations of his friends as they reach him, the curses, the what the fu... But they are drunk, and before they can fully grasp what has happened, she is sprinting away down the unlit back road, all the power of a thousand tedious daily sessions on a treadmill in her feet, suddenly grateful that, for this day in her life at least, she is not wearing a pair of beautifully handmade couture high heels, but a pair of cheap and nasty, perfectly flat pumps.
0: Thank you so much for your reading and thank you so much for joining us on our 250th episode. That was Jojo Moyes reading exclusively for the Literary Salon. Our next bestseller is Someone Else's Shoes and it's published by Michael Joseph and it's available now in all good bookshops and you can find signed copies in Waterstones and in lots of independent bookshops so check the one nearest you and if you want to support salon you can buy from us from our shop on bookshop.org so please be sure to share this with your pals this is a world exclusive it's Jojo Moyes it's her new novel it's our 250th episode so I'll see you soon for episode 251 thank you for joining us